Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. One of the amazing aspects of the Bible is that it is not just a book of history. It is not just a book of law. The Bible is God's holy word, and everything in its pages is meant to help us live the life that God wants us to live. And it's important that we understand this, that God is on our side. He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to know how to live for him. But he does not persuade us to do that by veiled threats of Israel's failures as a nation. Nor does he shame us into obedience to him through just the giving of his law and his standards for righteous living. But the wisdom literature of scripture reveals to us many things about the nature of God and his desires for his people. And one of those desires is to share with us his infinite wisdom. Amen. And so the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. Not to be confused with chutzpah, all right? (laughs) Hakma. This word for wisdom, though, listen to this, this is very important, is much more than intellectual knowledge. But the word hakma implies skill. Not just possessing wisdom, but using it. According to God's definition in the Hebrew language, wisdom is more than knowing something in theory. Wisdom is the use of that knowledge in a way that is meant to protect the people of God and also please God at the same time. And so this skill of wisdom is something that God is not only the source of, but something that he gives liberally to everyone who would ask. And so as spirit-filled New Testament believers, it is vital that we understand that the wisdom of God and its importance in our lives is not limited to the ancient writings of the first half of our Bibles. But James says in chapter 1, verse 5, it is one of my favorite verses and a prayer that I pray often. Because it's the only blank check in the Bible, if you didn't know it. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so if we need this skill of wisdom, all we have to do is ask, and God will give it. It is the only name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Promise in the Bible. No questions asked. No maybe. No conditions. Wisdom when asked for according to the Bible is guaranteed by God. James goes on to say in chapter 3 verse 17 that the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I need wisdom like that in my life. I don't know about you. 
And so the importance and necessity of wisdom is a theme from the Old Testament that is blatantly carried over into the New Testament. For Colossians 4, 5 instructs us to walk in wisdom. Constantly, every day, wisdom is that important for us as the children of God. This wisdom, as the Bible defines it, is an attribute of God himself. It is part of who he is and what he offers to you and I as his children. According to the Bible Project, which is a fantastic resource for all of us, in Hebrew thought, our journey towards wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And that is a phrase you heard a couple of the quizzers quote tonight. To be clear, though, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of him. Rather, it is a healthy respect for what he defines as good and what he defines as evil. Reverence toward God is the starting block of all wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from God. Amen. And so tonight we begin our study with the book of Job. Everyone's favorite book of the Bible. Here in the first wisdom book, the fear of the Lord is established for us. In fact, this book begins by assuring us that Job feared the Lord. And yet, based on what we know about what happened to Job, as amazing as he was, I've never heard anyone say, God, make me like Job. I just want to be like Job. Good old Job. He just doesn't make the list of favorite Bible characters. We love David the giant slayer. Sign me up. Me and David. Or my girl Esther, the beauty queen who would save a nation. The ultimate Cinderella story. We cheer when Peter and Paul lay hands on the sick and they recover, yet no one in the Bible receives the commendation that Job receives from the I am. Let's read it together. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also Came among them, and the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, game on. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out. From the presence of the Lord. And so from this conversation, we know that in the verses that immediately follow, Job loses everything. 
all of his possessions, all of his wealth, gone in a day. His family taken from him tragically, and you and I thought we were having a bad day. Worst day anyone has ever had, ever. And yet 122 says, in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. And so I want to take a pause from the story of Job and give you a brief overview, as we are wont to do in these series, of the book itself, information that is helpful to you as you read it and study it on your own. Number one, that the author is anonymous. And this is an interesting thing to research. Possible answers for who wrote Job would include Job himself, King Solomon, Jeremiah, Elihu, who is one of Job's infamous friends, and most believably, Moses. And one of the reasons why Moses is the more accepted answer is because the author recounts the creation story, which we traditionally give credit to that, to Moses. The second thing I want to point out to you is that the date of the writing of the book of Job is also ambiguous. So we don't know who wrote it, and we don't really know when they wrote it. These two facts that are clearly answered by most books of the Bible are left to speculation and debate. And as we've said many times in Growth University, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. What's in there is for a reason, and what's omitted has been omitted in God's great plan. And so it seems safe to assume that these mysteries around the book of Job are intentional by God. They have no bearing on the text itself. And so these omissions, if you will, encourage us as readers to dig a little deeper into the story of Job and consider those answers for ourselves. The third point I want to bring to your attention is that this story of Job begins in heaven. This is a setting unique to the book of Job. No one else's story begins with a conversation about them in heaven. The book of Job begins with a celebration of Job's family. And then the camera, if you will, goes from planet earth up into the heavens to where God is talking to his angels. And so this brings me to one of my final points, that the sons of men that we wrote about, read about in Job chapter 1 refer to some type of angelic counsel. So it does not mean that men were in heaven. That would be very confusing. But what it implies is that God is giving orders to the heavenly hosts. And among the heavenly hosts, um, the scripture refers to him as the Satan. I think this is so interesting. Because the Satan means the adversary. And doesn't that sum up everything that you and I need to know about Satan and his motives? That this term Satan means the one who is opposed to you and me. And he has the audacity to show up in God's holy huddle. And God brings up Job's name to Satan. And so from this conversation between God and the Satan results in a free-for-all given to Satan by God, and Job loses everything because of this dare, if you will, between God and the devil. And so let's talk about the message of the book. I'm going to give you a quote by the author of our resource. We're again using the Apostolic Handbook series that we recommend highly. 
on the handbook of Psalms and wisdom literature. And so Jeremy Painter says this in the book. The book of Job is simply the story of a man who suffered and lost, not in spite of the good he did, but because of the good he did. For any reader, there is no question where God, where Job stood with God or that God loved Job. And so this complex story centers around the devastating losses suffered by a man whom God bragged about to his adversary as blameless and upright. And so this book that we're considering very quickly tonight seeks to answer a profound question, one that all of us will have to answer for ourselves at some point in our journey. Is God wise and is God just? Job's plight here is parallel to God's people Israel in that his special status with God created both blessing and difficulty in his life. And this concept, if we're honest, is something that we struggle with as New Testament believers. Why do bad things happen to good people? How can you and I do everything we know to do to please God and still experience heartbreak and still suffer unexplained tragedy? I think the author of the book we're using summed it up best when he said, in reality, this story of Job creates more theological difficulties than it solves. And that's one of the reasons, if I'm being honest with you tonight, it's not one of my go-tos when I'm feeling discouraged. (laughs) Job really challenges us what we believe about God, what we believe about suffering when it comes to the people of God. And I received some very compelling godly counsel many years ago when Dr. Cindy Miller was here at Calvary. And she made this statement that has never left me. She said, every believer must work out their theology of suffering. Because if we don't on our own, circumstances will make us work out these things. What do we believe about God and his word when things aren't going the way that we think they should? At some point in our walk with God, there will be a crisis that sends our faith spiraling because what we know God is able to do is not what he does in the situation. And so as we begin to put the landing gear down on this overview, I think we can learn not only from Job and his incredible example of faith and faithfulness, But we also do well to take note on some important lessons to be learned from his friends. I like what Job says about the miserable comforters are you all. If their intent was to comfort them, they failed miserably. And so these are my own ponderings informed by life experience. Number one. Sometimes presence is enough. Bishop Dad called it the gift of presence. 
that when people are hurting and in crisis, less is more. Let your actions say more than your words. Because if you read the book of Job, Job's friends talked a lot. (laughs) Way too much. A runaway train, to be sure. And at the end of the day, their words did not help Job. In fact, they made him feel much worse. He was almost suicidal by the time they were done with him, okay? Which brings me to my next point, that assigning blame does not help those who are suffering. Yet it is our natural human inclination. It's someone's fault. There is someone to blame. We truly believe that if we can figure this out, it will help us feel better And it's not true. In fact, we make fools out of ourselves trying to explain the mind and plan of God to other people. And everyone feels worse because of it. And finally, when you don't know what to say, don't say a lot. This is really good advice, trust me. A simple, I love you, I care about you, Even a, I don't understand it, but I'm praying for you. Or better yet, what can I do to help? Is all that is necessary sometimes to let people know that you're in their corner and you care. And so based on life experience, I truly believe that one of the most valuable things we can glean from this sobering story is that suffering does not elude the people of God. We will suffer. People we love will suffer. We need wisdom from God to know how to help and to know what to say. And thankfully, all we have to do is ask for the wisdom that is required and God has promised to give it to us. And so in conclusion, as we're heading to our app time, Satan gave it all he had with Job, and he still lost. The author points out the story of Job is a testament to the fact that the enemy's intrusion is not the end of our story. Even in heaven, Satan showed up. Even in Eden, Satan showed up. Do we see the pattern here? Even in the failure of Job's wife. Curse God and die. What horrible advice. She should have given the gift of presents. Hey, that moment of weakness, however, was not the end of her story either. I love defending characters who are constantly painted in a negative light in Scripture. And she is certainly one of those characters. My favorite Bible school teacher uh, taught a class that changed my life called Women of the Bible. Sister Candace Barkas, I love her so much. And she did a whole lesson on Job's wife, which is truly an amazing thing because the Bible tells us so little about it. But it it was powerful because she asked us the question, how would you like to be remembered for what you said in the darkest moment of your life? And then she followed it up with this. Where do you think all of those children that God gave Job came from? 
God forgave Job's wife, and her failure and her weakness in that darkness was not the end of her story. And yes, Job lost everything, and God gave it all back and more. And he did it through Job's wife, and God's mercy, even in that horrendous situation in the Bible, is on full display for you and I. Because Job was wiser, no doubt he was changed as a man, because wisdom always leads us to a greater fear and awe of the Lord and his ways. And though Job was perfect by our standards, he still asked God, why? And it was a fair question. And this assures you and I that we can ask God the hard questions. He's not afraid of our questions. He knows what they are. So for heaven's sake, give him the opportunity to answer. Amen. And so what is clear, though, is that God never answers Job's question directly. It's kind of like Jesus with the Pharisees. I realized that today. Jesus did the same thing when he was here. God answers Job's why me with the revelation of who he is. Job chapter 38 verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I love that. And said... Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And though God never answers Job's questions, what we realize is that there are some things we will never understand until the day we become like him. Through God's answer, and it's a long one, it's several chapters, one thing is clear, that he is nothing like us. He doesn't think like us. He's not motivated by the same things that motivate us. I believe that one of the most important things that we can know about the God that we serve is that he is not like us. Our questions are usually motivated by our temporary comfort. And yet his answers always point us to his priority for us, which is where we're going to spend eternity. Amen. And so for apt time tonight, I know this is heavy, so I'm going to give you a little bit easier of a question. We're not going to make this personal right now. But who in your life has inspired your faith as you have observed them walking through personal trials? We all have somebody that has inspired us by the way they respond to suffering. I want you to think about who that is and and just quickly share it with somebody near you, okay? I want everybody to have someone to talk to, so if you need to move around, go right ahead. Here we go.
All right. We have rounded third and are heading for home here. And I'll invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read a verse from Job that I think is especially powerful knowing it's coming from Job. Chapter 5, verse 18, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. I, um, in, in the app question and considering this in my own life, I had a moment at a funeral many years ago, and John and Char, it was Faith Cook's funeral. Uh, Tom and I were privileged to serve under some real heroes of the faith of the United Pentecostal Church and Paul and Faith Cook. And Sister Faith was killed tragically in a car accident in her 80s. And it was a real tragedy how it happened. But I remember watching Elder Cook stand and worship God as someone saying, Great is thy faithfulness at his wife's funeral. And I remember the person their son-in-law who, who eulogized her and did uh, the, the message, if you will, tell the Cook family, you have been trusted with trouble. And that phrase has never left me. And I've seen it many times in my own life and in the lives of God's people, that God trusts us sometimes with things we wish he didn't trust us with including trouble. And so I don't know what trouble God has trusted you with right now. But what I do know is he knows exactly where you are. In fact, Job says, look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Sometimes, We cannot find God in a situation the way that we want to see him. But Job says he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth. I will not stay always in this season of my life, but I will come out of it because he's with me, because he knows what I'm going through. I shall come forth as gold, purified and more valuable to him than I was when I started this trial. And so I would ask you to just declare that over your life with me, that I will come forth as gold, and he knows the way that I take tonight. Let's pray together as we conclude. Lord, I love you, and I thank you, Lord, for even the hard passages of your word Our flesh wants to avoid them. It's hard to process, God, that bad things happen to good people. That even when we do everything we know, there are things that you allow, things that we go through, Lord, that we have no control over except to trust you in the process. There are times when, like Job, we're looking around for you and we we can't seem to find your hand working. And yet, Lord, if Job can look back and say, you know the way that I take, then surely we today in 2022 can trust that you see us where we are and that we are in your care, that nothing 
can happen to us without your oversight, without your direct permission. And so God, we declare over our situations that we will come forth as gold. We will submit to your process. We will worship you in this storm and we will submit to whatever it is that you're forming in us through all of this because your ways are not our ways and your thoughts not our thoughts. And so let us be encouraged and strengthened by your word tonight. Go with us and bring us back to your house should you tarry in Jesus name. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.